So uh, let's start by reading a portion of Scripture, Hebrews 6, 1 through 2. I'm going to read this from the New American Standard Bible, and I noticed that I forgot to put a bracket after NASB, even though there's one before one. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God and of instruction or some, some translations say doctrines or teachings, about washings, some translations have baptisms, and laying on of hands, and about the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. Now, the things that are uh, underlined are my emphasis. And uh, if you want to get more out of this passage, it's in the middle of a discussion. It's one of the Many places in the Bible where when they added the chapter centuries later, they plopped them right in the middle of a paragraph. And so uh, if you want to get the thought uh, in, in whole, uh, start in Hebrews 5.11 and continue to read through Hebrews 6.12. But our, uh, our discussion today is going to be about the word for washings, baptizo. And uh, which we get the English word baptisms from. And it's used in this verse in a plural context. And uh, it's used in terms of teaching or didaxe, uh, instruction, uh, doctrines, uh, ideas. Um, and it's said to be a foundational thing. And so first thing I want to talk a little bit about is foundations. Um, if you have anything, have ever worked in the building industry or anything like that, I used to uh, remodel houses for about four years for a, uh, an outfit that we had very rich customers. And uh, like our just our remodel on one house, the bill was over $200,000. And, uh, of course, this house had like 11 bedrooms. And I think that's how many bathrooms it had. What, uh, it, was, it was a pretty big house, and uh, of course it was right on uh, the Maumee River, very nice location. And we were there uh, remodeling for 11 months. That was the scene of where I wrestled the woodchuck uh, <laughs> at lunchtime one day. One day. But uh, that's a different story in itself. You can ask me about it later. It was fun. Um, so, um, if you check commentaries or so forth, this, this verse has two historical interpretations or possible interpretations. Uh, the interpretation that I favor is actually more known in modern times if you would, uh, say, read a book on, uh, on baptisms in, uh, out of Derek Prince's foundation service series or something like that. It would have the modern interpretation. But the, the old-fashioned interpretation is that what uh, the writer of Hebrews is referring to is not, uh, the reason it's plural is because it's instructions about the various washings or cleansings or baptisms in the Mosaic law versus the use of baptisms in the New Testament. Um, more modern translations would just uh, say, uh, more modern interpretations, I should say, 
would basically say the reason it's plural is because there are more than one uh, type of baptism in the in the uh, New Testament. Now, uh, I used to do some teachings about baptism and have a whole, or about foundations, I mean, and I had a whole series about it. And I uh, came up with a little slogan, the depth and strength of the foundation must correspond to the height and weight of the structure. If you're involved in remodeling building of any kind, uh, there's nothing more important than the foundation. What's very difficult if you're, if, say, you're not in the construction industry or you're not a carpenter or uh, you don't do a lot of remodeling, you'll almost always be trained in, in, from our culture that when you're looking at houses, you'll look at the cosmetic things. And so uh, even when they teach people how to sell their home, they mostly deal with cosmetic issues. Uh, curb appeal, for instance. How does it look when you're first pulling up to it? And uh, most, mostly things that have to do with the appearance but the most important thing is far below the appearance. And uh, in a, it's, it's uh, really uh, what type of foundation it has. And is the foundation commensurate to, uh, to uh, the type of house? When, when, uh, some of you know the house I live in. We bought... Uh, in 1988, so we've been there 35 years, and I uh, used to have hair wet back when we bought that. <laughs> and uh, uh, my uh, two of my four children, who are all my youngest, is now 30, and two of them weren't born yet. That's how long ago it was. And uh, one of the problems in our house is that the um, the guy who invented what's now called a bungalow, which a lot of houses have like one dormer on them, the original uh, guy who who uh, designed the bungalow built it with, as my house is, with four dormers. So my house is actually technically a one-story house with a large second story, but all the entire second story is four dormers. And... Uh, um, because of that, when they laid the foundation, my bedroom is over top of the living room, which is over top, of, uh, which extends out to the front porch, and uh, over o the front porch is over top of uh, the the you know the the uh, part of the basement, and it was a part of a ba the basement. My basement when I first bought the house, the basement was completely unfinished. And that didn't even have a concrete foundation. The foundation went down uh, about halfway and then stopped and was sitting on a wall that was dirt. And uh, the house is now over 100 years old, but at the time it was uh, about 70 years old, if I remember. And uh, it was built in uh, 19, 19 or 1920. And... Uh, so uh, gradually, the, 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 the dirt knee wall had been eroding away. And so one of the projects I did, which actually cost about $11,000, was to uh, dig that, square that off, 
and then have a concrete company uh, bring in concrete through the, uh, through the window. And we laid concrete, uh, first a, a bottom layer, then a wall, then another top thing, and, and made the entire structure of the house very much sound, more sound. Uh, and that's, of all the remodeling I did, I, I've actually spent about $200,000 remodeling the house over the years. And of all the remodeling that we did, that was by far the most important project we did. Uh, the bedroom that Golda lives in was actually a coal room. And uh, it, it, uh, if you were to rip the drywall off the one side of the room, there'd be a, a door opening where the coal used to be shoveled in to, uh, to uh, build the coal furnace. And uh, the doorways into both her room and uh, uh, the, ki- the, little, the second kitchen we have in the basement, they were only about uh, a little under five feet tall. <laughs> and so I actually uh, got four buddies to uh, hold two-by-fours and uh, used a concrete saw and cut, cut, cut the doorways out up, and t- up to the wood foundation and uh, made them uh, seven feet tall. So uh, that, was a, that was a fun project, lowering that concrete, because once it was cut away with the concrete saw, it was pr- quite heavy. It took four guys to, to set it down. So uh, in, in Psalms 11.3, the psalmist says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And that's, there's no answer given in Psalm 11.3 because it's meant to be a rhetorical question. It's most meant to be uh, an obvious answer like, duh. <laughs> you know, like, uh, the, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? Nothing. If there's no foundations, there's nothing can be done. Just tear the house down and start over. I don't know if you ever saw that, what, uh, their movie with... Uh, What's that? The Money Pit. Yeah, what's that actor? That was um, Tom Hanks when he was young. Uh, and Shelley something, Shelley Long or something, I forget. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's kind of, a, kind of a comedy movie, and they're remodeling this old mansion, and it's just one problem after another. And, and uh, you know, at one point in the movie, there's uh, maybe 50 people at the place working on it, and they've torn the whole place apart and everything. And, and uh, I think Tom Hanks is freaking out that, you know, there's no progress, and the contractor goes, what do you mean? You got your brick pile, you got your wood trash pile, you got your debris pile. <laughs> there's, you know, like, we have all these trash piles. There's definitely progress going on here. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, you know... Uh, it does take uh, actually eyes that are trained to, to in the middle of that to see the, what the finished product looks like, and some people cannot see that at all. Like when when I first remodeled my my place, uh, we I worked on it full time for ten months before we ever moved in, and uh, my wife would bring our uh, we, two youngest children over, and I'd show Carla who was. Uh, two at the time, I would show her the bedroom I was making for her and, and all this stuff. Sorry, a lot of memories. And uh, my wife was just beside herself because it was just trashed. And, 
And uh, one of the uh, one of the funny uh, many many uh, things that weren't funny at the time that like, I always say I have a saying that remember in two years you'll probably be laughing about this, <laughs> and uh, and uh, that's good to keep perspective on sometimes. <laughs> and uh, we had this uh, the place uh, had veneer instead of real wood cabinets in the kitchen, the first kitchen on the main floor. Um, and it had uh, chocolate brown countertops, and it was just ugly and in poor taste. And the floor kind of went like this and then had this curve, and it went up about three inches. And uh, uh, But for the longest time, I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do with it, and I don't tear the stuff out until... Uh, until I figured it out. And then one day I kind of designed the whole thing in my mind. And, and uh, so Catherine would come over at night with the kids. She came over one night to find out the whole kitchen had been torn out. All the cabinets are gone. The walls are gone. <laughs> and uh, I think she started crying because <laughs> she could not see the end from the beginning. And then uh, uh, today it's a very nice kitchen. But... Uh, <laughs> Um, the, uh, if any of you have ever been up to my study, those were actually just unfinished closet spaces. And I remember the night we discovered that those were back there. Uh, I remember sticking one of those lights that you use for painting and in through the opening and caught, oh, man, this entire unfinished space back there. I could make this into something. And, uh, and, uh, Catherine started crying again, but, uh, <laughs> And she said, please don't, please don't do it. <laughs> well, it's now her study on one side and my study on the other. And it has been for 35 years. So um, every, in, in, the, in the movie, uh, you know, the Money Pit movie, in the end they have this beautiful mansion and it's just amazing. And uh, what, what they had to go through to get there was kind of a living hell. And that's what it supposedly is funny about the movie. And uh, Tom, Tom Hanks is amazed at uh, how beautiful it was. And the contractor goes, well, it, it had a good foundation. And if the foundation is good, everything else can be fixed. And that is totally true of life. Uh, when you're talking about... Uh, being reborn in Christ, the reason that you don't just need some churching up, the reason you don't need to just try to be more holy, to just read your Bible more and so forth, the, mean, the, the reason God is not doing a remodeling project is because the, thing, it, the old man needs to be killed and a new man needs to be born and grow up. And that's really what happens in, in Christ. We're not reforming the old Daniel Williams or the old John Bradbury. We're, they, they were hopeless. I was hopeless. You were hopeless. There was no amount of Bible reading or fasting or seeking God you could have done to make your sin problem any, any better. It was foundational. And the old you had to just die and be buried and be removed. And in water baptism, what you're doing is you're choosing 
to enter into Christ's death, burial, and resurrection and to let him kill the old you and recreate in you a clean heart. I love Psalm 51, one of the seven penitential psalms. And he doesn't say, uh, rebuild a new heart in me, does he? He says, create a new heart. So baptism, the first point we need to make is it's a foundational. It's not an option whether a Christian is baptized or not. Uh, any more than it's an option whether you're going to lay a foundation for your house. You can't uh, start reading unless you learn the alphabet first. And there's a reason why where you start is the alphabet and then the 88 phonics rules. Because they're foundational to reading. Now, the, the Greek word for, uh, in the noun form, you, you don't really need to, it's, it's pronounced something like baptismos, and the, the verb form is baptizo. And when they made the, uh, when Wycliffe made the first English Bibles, and uh, followed, you know, a century or so later by the King James Bible, there wasn't any English word to go along with that Greek word. So they just created the word baptize to make it uh, a little bit more English sounding. But it means to dip, to immerse, to cleanse, to wash. And that we're going to deal with some of the controversial issues about baptism some, uh, and one of them is that uh, some people baptize by dipping or immersing, and others by sprinkling or washing. And uh, I think it's, it's a, a silly argument. So I uh, put this, this uh, the, in, your, in your notes, it says, to immerse, submerge, to make fully wet, use in the New Testament of ceremonial ablution, uh, in several contexts, especially in the ordinance of Christian baptism, to baptize or to wash. So, um, in, in the New Testament, baptism is used in terms of four types or four kinds or four ceremonies. There's not just one baptism. There's four uses of the word baptism. The first is the baptism of John the Baptist. And Christ, our forerunner, entered into the baptism of John the Baptist. And when you enter into Christ, that's done for you. And so John's baptism is no longer practiced, nor needed, nor valid. It was a foreshadowing of Christian water baptism that was fulfilled in Christ. If you want to look at that in full, I've given you uh, some of the scriptures that mention it there. And you can look them up. The second one is, is uh, the baptism of sufferings. Now, this is the only one that's not really a ceremony. It's just a, pro a promise that if you're going to be in Christ, you will experience the baptism of sufferings. 
Now, no, no Christian church preaches this anymore, especially those on TV or radio, because it doesn't sell. You know, but, you know, uh, to be honest, what I can promise you is that you're going to suffer. You know, Robbie, your Christian life is going to be miserable at times. Byron, you're going to have some bad days from a human perspective. But in God's providence and sovereignty, they're actually good days. When Officer Diaz gives you a speeding ticket, <laughs> it's actually a good thing. Uh, Jesus, uh, speaking to his disciples, said, I have a baptism to undergo, and how distressed I am until it's accomplished. Uh, in Matthew and in Mark, uh, there's both, of the, both of those two Gospels have an account of this. The mother of the sons of Zebedee, that is James and John, uh, came to Jesus and, and set, asked her if she could have uh, her sons be uh, sit at Christ's right hand and at his left. Then uh, the right hand, of course, is symbolic of the a place of authority or the highest place of honor. Whoever was to be most honored sat at the king's right hand. And uh, Jesus, in, in one of the accounts, uh, says, Are you able to uh, be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? And uh, they say enthusiastically, Yes, sign me up. You ever... You ever uh, been under a very anointed preacher who's talking about God's taking you through the wilderness and God's pains and God's sufferings. And, and uh, you know, then he says, everyone who wants to go forward with God, raise your hand. And you were dumb enough to raise your hand. <laughs> it, it, those, those, those meetings should be sort of like those Three Stooges movies that uh, whoever wants to volunteer takes two steps forward and, and uh, just one guy's smart and dumb enough to stand still, whereas the other, all the other guys take two steps backwards, making it look like the one guy took two steps forward. I remember as a young Christian, I was having a particularly difficult time once, and I was asking my mother, who was a very devout uh, and, and well-taught and informed uh, a uh, Christian lady, and she was very involved in a movement called the Catholic Charismatic Movement. She actually wrote books that have uh, the bishops Neil Obstad and, and Prometheus on it, which is a thick thing in the Catholic Church that means there's no error or doctrinal mistake and so forth. And her book on the gifts of the Holy Spirit is quite excellent. And uh, I said, you know, why, why is everything going so so rough? And she goes, well, do you remember when so-and-so taught, she, a guy that most of you probably wouldn't know, some of you would, a guy named Bob Mumford, and, and uh, you, you, know, you raised your hand at the end, when he, and she goes, well, you shouldn't have raised your hand. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the, the fact is, Jesus, the promise of God is that you will be baptized in sufferings because you need to be conformed to his death. Again, you don't need a remodeling. You just need to be killed and put it and uh, buried. <laughs> and the the old man needs to be obliterated. So, although uh, the baptism of sufferings is not necessarily a, 
uh, a single ceremony, uh, you are choosing by faith and by walking with God through your life circumstances to enter into the, bar- the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ in, in his sufferings. Uh, in some Christian traditions called the Passion of the Christ. Now, um, thirdly, there's Christian water baptism. Uh, it's mentioned in quite a few verses. I've left you some there. Uh, and when at the, the last thing that Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew and, and last thing he says in the Gospel of Mark in, in Mark, he says, uh, whoever believes and is baptized shall be saved. Now, because people like to base doctrines on one verse and take it out of context and so forth, there are actually some Christians who actually believe not only that you're not saved unless you're water baptized, but they would go so far as to say you are born again or saved or you're regenerated when you're water baptized, uh, which is not correct. Um, but if you are born again, uh, and if you are truly converted to Christ, you will be baptized. In Matthew, Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth have been given to me. And then he says, therefore. Whenever you see the word therefore, Hebrews 6.1 starts with the word therefore. Romans 12.1 starts with the word therefore. I always hate when they start uh, chapters with Therefore. It kind of says they put the chapter in the wrong place, (laughs) and uh, they put it right in the middle of a paragraph or a thought. You know, uh, it's Daniel Gray's birthday, therefore we're having cake and ice cream and a party, (laughs) you know. But, uh, you know, therefore is always in a context of what just happened or what was just stated or what was just said. And so Jesus says, therefore, because all authority in heaven and earth is given to me, because I am at the Father's right hand, because the Father has placed this on me, therefore, you, if if you're my disciple, if you're a part of my kingdom, if you're a part of my family, then you will go into all the world and make disciples. That's the natural outworking of if you... Uh, believe that all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Christ. A, a Christian who doesn't make disciples is, uh, is about as possible as uh, a, a child who doesn't breathe and doesn't get hungry or thirsty and doesn't need diapers when they're a baby. Do kids need diapers when they're a baby, Connor? <laughs> I just wanted to check I, in, case, in case I forgot. Um, and so when he says, make disciples of all nations, the statement continues. What it means to make a disciple of all nations is to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to teach them to obey everything I have commanded. And remember, I'm with you always to the end of the age. So in making a disciple, you're going to be doing two things with that disciple, baptizing them and teaching them. Everything that Christ taught, you're going to teach them. Not just your favorite parts or the ones that sell well on TV Christianity. So the part about baptisms of suffering 
You got to teach them that part. Even though that doesn't sell. If you don't teach them that part, you're a liar. And there's a lot of ministries that are liars. Because they just tell you, uh, you know, all the promises in the book are mine. Every jot, every tittle, every line. It's all going to be hunky-dory. Your life is going to be great. That's nonsense. He has, he has, God has a, a goal in your life. And you know what that goal includes? He wants to kill you. That thing that says, I want, I will, give me, give me, give me, I want, I will. In the prosperity gospel, you're taught like how to get more. And in the real gospel, he's gonna whatever he you have, he's gonna take it away from you. <laughs> he wants you to lay down everything. Because it's a, you know what? You don't really have a bank account. You're stewarding his bank account. You don't really have talents. You're stewarding his talents. Your your brothers and sisters are first and foremost his brothers and sisters. And that's what the the reason we are commanded to love one another and the reason we must take that further than we've ever taken it is because they, they belong to God. You know, the person next to you, the person behind you, God died for them. And they were so precious that, the, that God himself uh, allowed himself to be misunderstood, rejected, spat upon, had his beard ripped out, whipped, wear a crown of thorns, uh, you know, walk from uh, Pilate's courthouse to the... To, to, to Golgotha uh, with, with carrying a big 10-foot-tall cross, uh, etc., because he loved you that much and because he loved the person next to you that much. The fourth use of the, of the word baptized is, is in reference to the Holy Spirit. The phrase baptized with or in the Holy Spirit appears seven times in the New Testament. I've listed them there for you. And all of them are in conjunction with John the Baptist, the water baptizer, saying that Jesus will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And guess what? Fire really hurts. There's a reason... uh, that through many in many cultures and in many uh, centuries, and especially in uh, Christian medieval Europe, the reason they executed people by burning them at the stake was because it was a maximum painful way to die. And God loves you so much, he wants to kill you. Now, there's a lot of parallels between being baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit. What is different between the two is what you're being baptized with. 
or in. One, you're being washed with water. The other, you're being washed with the Holy Spirit. Now, we're dealing with Christian water baptism. I'll try to point out, although I'm going to run out of time here in about 15 minutes, uh, some parallels. So I'll try to mention when, when there's parallels between being baptized with water and baptized with the Holy Spirit. But mo- mostly we're focusing on water baptism today. By the way, in the early church, uh, depending on what century you're looking at, in the, in the New Testament and until approximately 90 A.D., most converts were baptized in water immediately upon their profession of faith in Christ. That's why, you know, the Philippian jailer in Acts 16, they hold a baptismal ceremony right in the middle of the night. <laughs> you know, 3 a.m. Let's, that sounds like if we're going to have water baptism, it's going to be at 3 a.m. I want you all to show up. <laughs> Support your brothers and sisters. And it's okay to wear pajamas. So, um, approximately 90 AD, it, this started to change. And, and I would say by 150 AD till about 300 AD, most people were baptized after they, when a person decided to be a Christian uh, and converted to Christ, they would let the elders of the church know. The elders of the church would interview them. If their reasons seemed correct, they would enroll them in a catechism class. And when they were finished being catechized, the word catecheo uh, appears six times in the New Testament, and it's the basis of the, uh, the word used by Catholics, Lutherans, and many other denominations called catechism. Uh, it, it was actually a thing the church stopped practicing in the Middle Ages, and then Luther restored it, and then at the Council of Trent, the Catholic Church said, yeah, Luther's right, we, and they started doing catechism again. But it's a full instruction in the faith. And uh, um, after the catechism, the, uh, the church of the 2nd and 3rd century would have a water baptism uh, usually on Easter Sunday once a year, but only to, for those who had finished the catechism class and passed the test on it. I, I kind of like that. I remember uh, we, we just, I'm working with teaching Golda to drive, but we also enrolled her in a uh, driver's ed class, and she had to attend 12 classes. And guess what? There was a test on the 12 classes afterwards. Makes sense to me. Which she's passed. Now we're practicing driving. Uh, that I'm giving you fair warning, so you stay in your houses with the doors locked. No, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, just, just teasing. The the closest thing we've had to an accident yet is we we did brush up against a curb one time. Not nothing too nothing too close to a real accident yet. Not like me. I was actually in 14 car accidents, about half of which were my fault. <laughs> and uh, some, the ones that weren't, I made some pretty good money on. So that's how I paid for my wedding. <laughs> we had a really nice wedding because the guy pulled out in front of me on a uh, 
unlawfully or illegally on a, on a, on a snowy day. And uh, the profits from the uh, broken nose uh, paid for our wedding and honeymoon. So, um, not a, not a good financial plan, by the way. <laughs> don't I don't recommend following that course of action. So um, now the the first reason we get water baptized is Jesus commanded us to. If you're a Christian there's one thing that should be settled and you should be done with. You're going to do not what you want to do, but what Jesus commands to do. And he's made that pretty clear in the scriptures. So much so that he's even called the word of God. He's the exact representation of the Father, according to Hebrews. Secondly, water baptism has been the practice of not only the early church, but all Christian churches through all the centuries. Christians have been baptizing people for 2,000 years. There are some uh, accounts. I give you three major accounts there. You can read them for yourself. And then at the bottom it says, see also, and it has several other accounts of people being baptized. Um, and each of them, the, the three that I spelled out there, uh, contain some very important ideas if you take the time to, to study them. Um, the one in Acts 19, which is the last one listed, I would encourage you to go back to Acts 18:24 and read the whole context all the way through Acts 19 because you know Paul comes upon some believers that he thinks are Christians and they're not and he says did you receive the holy spirit when you believe but the very question means it's possible not to receive the holy spirit when you believe in some sense when you believe in Christ you receive the holy spirit but not in every sense that God wants you to receive the Holy Spirit. The further sense that he wants you to receive that's a second experience is called being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, let's move on to there's multiple meanings and purposes of water baptism. I've listed five. There is more than five. The first one is that it's a covenant celebration or ceremony of inauguration or enactment. If you remember when we taught on covenant, I, I just taught on it here uh, a year ago or so for a couple weeks. We listed 12 things, that uh, ingredients that all biblical covenants have. And one is that every biblical covenant has a ceremony of inauguration or initiation or a ceremony of enactment, such as in, the, in marriage, the ceremony of enactment is called a wedding. And all covenants have things like vows and, and other, uh, other, we listed 12 ingredients that all biblical covenants have. One of them is the ceremony of, an, of initiation. Now, uh, this may surprise you, but I would also say all covenants have uh, celebratory ceremonies of renewal or remembrance, and water baptism is that too. 
So does that mean next week we're going to ask uh, Matt to come forward and get water baptized again, and Golda and Liz, Liz and Garrett, and Sam Gower Strand? Or no, no, we're not. <laughs> so how is it a ceremony of uh, renewal or remembrance? When when we have the candidates say the vows, uh, especially in the case of an infant, we not only have the parents say the vows. We have the godparents say the vows, and guess what? We have the congregation say the vows, because you're renewing. And when someone is water baptized in our community, you're uh, be renewing your water baptism. And all churches have done that through all. Uh, there, there's not secret baptismal ceremonies. Now, there are some that are very limited in their attendance in things like communist countries where you might get killed or arrested for, uh, for, for get, being a Christian. But even there, they aren't totally private. One of the reasons I like doing water baptisms when possible at, at a lake or whatever is I like to have a bunch of boats of unbelievers. And what are those crazy people doing over there? Uh, it's good to, they need to think about it. So baptism is a celebratory ceremony of renewal and remembrance for the whole congregation. Thirdly, the meaning is that you're choosing to publicly identify with Christ Jesus. The symbolism of, of uh, immersion is that you make a vow uh, condemning you to death <laughs> and you choose to enter into his new resurrected life and then we bury you and raise you again now you don't want to get baptized therefore by preachers that are as long-winded as me because then because you don't want them to put you in the water and then go father we come before you <laughs> meanwhile you're like let me out of <laughs> um no, that's just an old joke. Um, you, you want someone that's going to pull you back out of the water pretty quick. You, you don't want to be buried like Jesus was for three days. I, personally, I can't hold my breath that long. Now, another reason or meaning of baptism is that water is all through the entire Bible is the main agent that God uses for cleansing. And it's symbolic of the fact that the blood of Jesus washes away our sins. And the water is symbolic of the blood of Christ. Water cleanses, it purifies. Um, now, I left you some scriptures there, 1 Corinthians 10. Exodus 14, if you want to look at other uh, symbolisms of water baptism. But the, the two primary ones are that you enter into the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and that you're washed or cleansed. And that, um, However, although um, I think in, in, if you go to any church that's sacramental, the, the definition of a sacrament, which I would say is more biblically a covenant a ceremony, uh, is an outward act that symbolizes an inward work of God's grace. 
you know, I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I saw John Gray do a very good job of, of being the minister for the wedding of Robbie and Abigail. But I'm quite certain, because I remember talking to Robbie uh, about this months earlier, I'm quite certain that he didn't just fall in love with her on the day of their wedding. It was an outward act to symbolize an inner work of God's grace that had already happened in their hearts uh, for some time. So, you know, when Eve was brought to Adam, uh, he said, Zaza Zut, which is Hebrew for, that's it. <laughs> you know, uh, I've been looking for someone all along, and finally, that, that, finally, you know, this sheep and cow that came by, the pigeons, they, not, they, they weren't doing it for me. I, they didn't look that good. So, um, those are some symbolisms of water baptism. And then, I don't have time to get into much of this, but there have been historically in the church there have been three controversial issues regarding water baptism. Uh, be, the reason for that is that no matter what God says, no matter what the Bible says, men, mankind are limited by two things. One, we're sinful, so we screw everything up. We read even if it's clear. And uh, two... We're finite, and we're dealing with uh, a God who, by his wonderful grace, is communicating an infinite God that has all knowledge. If you think, think about what omniscience is, the best I can do in defining it, because no, no one can really understand omniscience or omnipotence or and these kind of things, but, you know... Uh, People will say, well, omniscience is that God has all knowledge. But I would say that it goes, God never forgot anything, or God doesn't have to remember anything because he never forgot anything. He has all possible knowledge on the surface of his mind at every instant. instant. Like, I have to look things up all the time that I... Bible verses I memorized 35 years ago. I'll be now. Wait a minute. Let me. I'll, where's that? What 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 book is that in? I know it's in Hebrews somewhere. You know, uh, but God doesn't have to. When mankind discovers stuff in medicine and science, you know, God was actually working things providentially so that eventually they would. If you read uh, Thomas Kuhn's The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, one of my favorite books, which is a, a book about how progress is made in science, uh, and it's a little over 50 years old now. I, I actually remember reading it about 50 years ago. Well, about 47 years ago. But Thomas Kuhn is long since dead, but his ideas are, are, were awesome. But God is actually at work, and there, there are certain problems that come up designed by God to make us seek out and study and find things out. And uh, 
knowledge always progresses by first there being something we don't know, and because we don't know it, it's causing problems. If certain problems arise, and we have to find a solution. So anyway, um, the the three the three issues that have come up throughout the centuries is uh, I'm going to go with B first. In whose name? An issue that arose as early as the second century is that sometimes a Christian would find out 10 or 20 years after they'd been water baptized or uh, the, the church, in my opinion, practiced infant baptism from the earliest ages. And so all of a sudden you're 15 or 20 years, your kid is 15 or 20 years old, and you find out the pastor who baptized him uh, was using the wrong prayer book and the formula was wrong. Or you find out they weren't walking with God at all. And that became an issue in the church. And the church uh, addressed that as early as the 3rd and 4th century. Because people were saying, oh, you got baptized over in Constantinople by Pastor so-and-so. And it turned out he was a false believer. And uh, when the Diocletian's persecution came in, say, 290 AD or something, he caved in and renounced the faith. So your baptism is not valid. And the church from the very beginning said that's nonsense. You, you don't need, I know a, a lady who's home with the Lord now, but uh, when I met her in 1974, she was the first Christian friend I had. And uh, she had been baptized three times because as her father was a, a, an Anglican minister and, and a, um, what would you call it, a missionary. So she lived in different countries and joined different Christian groups. Uh, she actually, her, her father was not really a believer. He was just a minister, <laughs> uh, sadly. But um, it, as this happened, people would say, oh, no, you were baptized in the wrong formula. You know, like you were... And so uh, there, there are, there's a whole debate. Uh, one of the three issues is, should we be water baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, like Matthew 28 says? Or should you be baptized in the name of Jesus, like the examples in the book of Acts say? Now, in the book of Acts, to be fair, there's never an instruction uh, that you meet, but but they did baptize in Jesus' name. And um, uh, I've always thought that's funny that that's an issue because, of course, uh, I believe in the doctrine of the incarnation that Jesus is 100% man and he's 100% God, yet he's completely two uh, persons in one being. Just like the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are three persons in one being. And so, um, you know, to, to be honest, what we do just to cover people who are going to hear, because you're going to hear that somewhere, and someone's going to say, oh, you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You need to be rebaptized in Jesus' name, and vice versa. 
You'll even, I, there's popular bumper stickers that say, I was baptized in Jesus' name. You've probably seen that, right? And uh, so I always say, uh, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and the name of the Holy Spirit. So uh, no matter what their formula is, you're covered. <laughs> and uh, uh, of course, there's an issue between uh, paedo-baptism that is, and, and cradle-baptism. Should people be baptized based on the faith of their parents when they're a child, or should, they, should we wait until they come to faith in Christ themselves? And uh, throughout the centuries, the ch- church always, like in Acts 16, it says the Philippian jailer believed in, in along with his whole household, and they were all baptized. Uh, the church had practiced infant baptism from the earliest centuries, and the idea of baptizing only converts uh, happened... Mm, probably 50 years after the Reformation started among a group that were called, began, were eventually called the Anabaptists. And the Anabaptists include Amish, uh, today's Baptist, Mennonites, uh, and various other denominations, including um, in England there, there was, um, what are they, the Reformed Baptist and, and so forth. So there are actually, most people who baptize only believers are usually Arminians, and they're usually um, not reformed in their theology. They're usually heavy on man's will and man's choice and man, man's acts in saving, whereas the more, uh, the more Catholic and reformed positions are, are heavy on God, the work of God's grace. Now, I will say this, in the Roman Catholic Church, they believe in what's called baptismal regeneration, that you're actually regenerated by the Holy Spirit when you're baptized as an infant. The church never taught that until uh, really long after the Reformation. It became official doctrine in in the 19th century. And uh, we would not, uh, we do not believe that you are regenerated by, by infant baptism we believe that you're made a part of God's covenant family and of the church. And if you, have your, if you choose to have your infant baptized or your child baptized, we still think there needs to be a process in God's timing and by God's grace where they come under conviction of sin, which is, if you notice, it's not just conviction that of their sins, but it includes that, but it also comes... Uh, conviction of sin is a much deeper, more fundamental thing. It's that I'm a hopeless sinner, and I can't stop sinning. Uh, No matter how much I try, I'm going to be a sinner today, tomorrow, and in the, (laughs) for, for, you know, next week. And I, I always tell people when I'm sharing the gospel and so forth, when you receive God, Christ forgives the sins you've already committed, Christ forgives the sins you are committing today, and Christ is forgiving the sins you're going to commit years from now, which you are going to commit sins years from now until you go to be with Jesus. And so um, this church, most of the leadership of this church uh, believes in paedo-baptism. We baptize infants. 
Uh, we don't believe that they're regenerated by that. They still will need to come under conviction of sins, be granted by the grace of God repentance, Romans 2.4, the kindness of God grants repentance, and be converted to faith in Christ. And uh, they need to be born again. Uh, the baptism doesn't save you, but baptism is part of God, is a covenant ceremony that God wants you to enter into. And I believe the church did that with children for, for all the centuries. Now, what we do is because unity is so important to us, we're, you're free in this church to believe in pedo-baptism or credo-baptism. And you can be a good member of this church. When uh, we ordained uh, uh, our first elders, myself first, then a few years later, Jason and John, uh, John and I were both uh, credo Baptist, and, and Jason was a Pado Baptist. And uh, later, John became a, a Pado Baptist, and it was actually John's teaching that uh, he gave that I was uh, is, uh, that Josiah is going to put on the board for us, or he, he was supposed to, that. Yeah, there it is. Uh, if you would like to examine the arguments for it, I had read many books on the subject and all the debates, and I always remained a, a believer's baptizer, that is a cradle Baptist, for f uh, f pretty much close to 40 years of being a Christian and having read the Bible at least 50 times through. And, uh, ha you know, having... Uh, studied Greek and all this, what changed my mind was when uh, my son John was given a teaching on it at this church, and he put it in the context of the eternal covenant. Hebrews 13, 20 talks about the eternal covenant, and uh, it was on the, that basis that the old covenant was based on and the new covenant. Uh, they are built upon the foundation of the eternal covenant, and that's why they circumcised babies in the Old Testament. And I believe in New Testament times, they baptized babies. But again, baptism doesn't regenerate you, but baptism is a covenant ceremony of being initiated into the family of God, and you still need to be born again. Jesus told Nicodemus, who had been circumcised, who was a... a, a expert doctor level of understanding the law that he needed to be born again. So, um, and as far as immersion or sprinkling, uh, you know, the first, the first uh, evangelical I ever heard say I would sprinkle in some circumstances was a Assemblies of God pastor who pointed out if I was leading someone to Christ in, in, the, in the hospital and they were dying and there wasn't a possibility of immersing them, I, I would baptize them by sprinkling. Uh, and I, I think that uh, in, in my view, uh, it's better if possible to be baptized by immersion, but that's not practical with infants. You should probably, if you bat immersed an infant, you probably deserve to be arrested. And uh, <laughs> if you do it by immersion, <laughs> although I'm sure you could probably hold their nose shut and their mouth shut or something. Um, but in any case, that's, uh, that's it for uh, a refresher teaching on water baptism. Um, 
again, hopefully you notice that there are some uh, parallels between that and being baptized in the Holy Spirit, since I forgot to point them out as we went through them. But there are some definite parallels. Let's have, uh, who's, who is, you're doing the benediction, John? 